Anna Rose is a committed climate activist and she was a former leader of the Australian Youth Climate Coalition and Anna was one of the several speakers who appeared in Shepparton in 2013. And it was during her address that she said that a warmer atmosphere holds much more water. It was not something I'd thought a lot about, but she was obviously quite clearly correct. Anna was speaking at a forum organised by the Shepparton-based Slap Tomorrow, and more than 600 people attended the event and soaked up what Anna had to say. And how right Anna was. The world is presently saturated, apologies for the pun, with rain events. The world is drowning. And there's no better evidence than look at what just happened in Libya. Thousands of people have died. And true, the infrastructure was not up to the task. But the heavy rain is what worsened the situation. Welcome. This is the latest episode of Climate Conversations and I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. You'll find a few stories in the show notes about what's happened in Libya, and one is from the Washington Post, and it has the headline, Thousands Missing and Feared Dead After Floods Submerge Eastern Libya. The story begins... Thousands are feared to have died in floods that engulfed eastern Libya after Storm Daniel smashed the North African country, swallowing whole neighbourhoods and an unknown number of residents. Raging torrents of water tore through two dams in Derna, the city affected most acutely, sweeping entire buildings into the sea. Othman Abdul Jalil, health minister and spokesman for the eastern Libyan government, told local television channel Emazir, that the situation was continuing to deteriorate early Tuesday in the eastern city and that at least 2,000 people had been found dead. You'll find links to other stories about this issue in the show notes. Let's listen now to a small piece from Please Explain from the Sydney Morning Herald and the Melbourne Age and you can hear the whole piece through a link in the show notes. From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Thursday, August 24th. You might have forgotten we're still in the midst of winter. It was 24 degrees and sunny in Sydney earlier this week. In Melbourne, the forecast for tomorrow is 20 degrees. While experiencing this midwinter warmth may come as a pleasant surprise, it signals a troubling future for humans, say climate experts. The era of global warming has ended The era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. We are living through some of the hottest times on record. In fact, this past July was the hottest month recorded ever. Today, National Environment and Climate Editor Nick O'Malley on the dangers these high temperatures pose and why it may just be the beginning. (laughs) 
So, Nick, even though we're in the middle of winter here in Australia, heat is something we're all hearing about a lot right now. And that's obviously because of the record-breaking temperatures we're seeing around the world, as well as the terrifying fires and the heat waves. So can you paint a bit of a picture of what exactly has been going on across the world over the last few months? Well, terrifying is probably the right word. Most recently, um, people in this country, I suppose, would have been reading about the fires on the island of Maui. From here in Maui, where we have just learned that this is now the deadliest wildfire in modern U.S. history. Uh, 115 people are now confirmed dead. Uh, 850 people are missing, and this is because fires on this typically hot, wet, moist island ripped through because the island is getting a lot drier, partly due to climate change. In the distance, that was a lush green hill now scorched to its core. It shows the power of these wildfires. Uh, in Canada, there's a thousand active fires. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is sending in armed forces to help with the evacuations and fight the fast-spreading flames. I think twice as much land has burnt this fire season in Canada than in any other in history. It's the worst wildfire season in Canada's history. At least 1,000 fires still burning across the country. There are still heat domes progressing slowly across the United States. Uh, we've seen the same thing across the Northern Hemisphere. We've seen it in Siberia. We've seen these slow-moving, intense heat waves moving across um, Europe, across parts of the Middle East, across parts of North Asia. Unprecedented heat waves continue to ravage Asia this year. The latest heat wave here to hit the continent set temperature records in multiple countries, including India, Pakistan, Vietnam, Thailand, and Singapore, as well as some cities across China. In a remote township in China, I think they recorded a, a temperature of 52.5 degrees. As countries scramble to address more frequent heat waves, it is likely that the climate crisis is supercharging heat waves in Asia. But the, 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 south, the southern region hasn't been spared. There is a, a chunk of sea ice missing. Please don't forget you'll find a link to that audio piece in the show notes. Heat waves are not one of those things that grab our attention. They don't slam into the media and make news everywhere. There are no great pictures that can be had with heat waves, other than people standing in fountains and drowning themselves or dousing themselves with water. So you might be interested to read a story from the Scientific American. It has the headline, Heat waves may be slow, but they are just as destructive as faster disasters. The story begins. Earlier this summer, as a brutal heat dome settled over Texas, the large pecan tree in my front yard started dropping limbs, not twigs, mind you, but big, heavy limbs that would fall straight down with a thunk and a swoosh of dead leaves into my front lawn. Every week or so, it would happen again, and every week... I'd haul a giant piece of an old, glorious tree slowly dying of thirst to the curb. Most of Texas has recently broken a heat-related record in one way or another. Dallas reached a record high of 110 degrees Fahrenheit amid weeks of unrelenting 100 or near 100 degrees days. Austin made history with 45 consecutive days of temperatures more than 100 degrees. El Paso hit 44 days. Houston hit 109 degrees just as kids were getting back to school. Coastal areas of the state are in the National Weather Service's highest category for drought. 
Let's listen now to a 90-second piece from Yale Climate Connections. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. In September 2020, hazardous wildfire smoke blanketed Portland, Oregon. That winter, a major snow and ice storm knocked down trees and power lines, paralyzing the city. Just four months later, a record-breaking heat wave caused about 70 deaths in Portland alone. What I'm realizing in my research is that these hazards are no longer isolated and that we're getting many of these hazards sometimes in just a short period of one another. Jola Ajibade is an associate professor at Emory University and was previously at Portland State. She says when disasters occur back-to-back, it becomes even harder for people to cope, especially those with few financial resources. So you're thinking, okay, we've just dealt with wildfires, we're trying to recover, but before you could even recover from it, another incident happened, and so you don't ever quite get back to that level that you were before. And it strains a community's ability to provide emergency assistance and disaster relief. But consecutive and cascading disasters are becoming more common in a warming world. So she says cities need to identify their most vulnerable people and develop plans and policies to protect and support them. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Here now is something about the Chinese electric car, BYD, Build Your Dreams. It's the European premiere of BYD, the electrical vehicle company whose letters stand for Build Your Dreams. Its CLU model is on display. Like Tesla, the Chinese manufacturer is setting the tone. BYD is the world's largest manufacturer of electric cars, and their chances of continued success are good. Proponents say cars from China are cheaper and technically superior to comparable electric cars from Germany or France. So executives arrive in Munich with high expectations and confidence. Because we know a lot of markets still belongs to the traditional gasoline cars markets. So we try to find more and more uh, friends in this kind of new energy vehicles fields and uh, co-work with them to promote the new energy technologies and also products globally. Europe's car manufacturers are also going electric, but their transition from combustion engines to batteries will take decades. Hundreds of factories have to be converted, thousands of workers will need retraining, and countless new models will need to be developed. And the billions of euros needed to make the switch are still being earned from gasoline and diesel cars. I think the, the competition's increasing, clearly, uh, with the arrival of uh, a lot of new brands, but we equally are a challenger brand with our uh, electric cars, with the Cupra Tavascan, which, by the way, also comes from China. So I think we're in good shape to, to face the competition. Meanwhile, German manufacturers are seeking to get a leg up through collaborations. Chinese providers are going all in on electric, while Europeans are betting on various power sources. But in the end, it's the buyers who will decide which car manufacturers have a future and which don't. The American-based Climate One regularly has some wonderful guests, and just today it was actor Jane Fonda. And she was talking with host Greg Dalton about her activism, her lifelong activism, which of late has become climate activism. Here is just a snippet from the hour-long conversation, and the whole event will soon be on the Climate One website. And you'll find the link for that in the show notes. 
Eckhart Tolle in, his, in a book, the New Earth, A New Earth, said, quote, whatever behavior the ego manifests, the hidden motivating force is always the same. The need to stand out, be special, be in control. The need for power, for attention, for more. How do you think, how do you think about your own drives and ego and your own climate activism? Because a lot of activism is about, I'm right, look at me, do the right thing, what I say. Well, that's totally why I'm there. I mean, that's the, I mean, why else? No, actually, for me, it's very selfish. I, um, I was really going down a rabbit hole of despair. Um, I was very heartened by that incredible outpouring of activism globally led by Greta Thunberg in, in 2019. But I didn't know what to do. I knew I had a platform and I wasn't doing enough and I was so depressed. And then I read Naomi Klein's book. It's, I, I had read all her books, but this was a smaller book and it was just, it, it arrived the day I was leaving to go up with friends of mine to Big Sur. The, the galleys of On Fire, the Burning Case for a Green New Deal. And so I got there, I got up there to Big Sur, and I sat down and I read the book, and it hit me. You know, when you're ready for it, maybe one of you would read the book now and it wouldn't have this impact, but to me it was like I could feel a lightning bolt hit my solar plexus. And I found a place that had a signal. It was just like one foot. And I called, and I think it's one of the smartest things I ever did in my life. I called Annie Leonard. because I knew that she was really brave and bold and she'd done such great things at Greenpeace. And I said, I wanna to move to DC and I wanna camp out in front of the White House and I wanna raise a ruckus. And my only concern is I don't know where to poop. <laughs> See, I, I have, you know, I love to climb mountains. I do my best above 14,000 feet. I have pooped in the wilderness and I know what to do, but not in a city. I, I didn't know what to do. And she laughed and she said, I'm really, I'm so happy that you want to put yourself on the, your body on the line like this, but you don't have to worry about pooping because it's illegal now to camp in front of the White House. But she said, okay, let me think about this. And she set up a, the next day a conference call with Bill McKibben and Naomi Klein and then Jay Helfon. I thought, what's she got a lawyer on here for? Because now I, now I understand, because I know Jay Helfon. But at any rate, it was at Esalen. It was the only place that had a pay phone, and I had to borrow a lot of quarters, and it was a long time. So hot, and putting quarters in. But that's where Fire Drill Friday was born. We didn't have a name for it yet, but the idea of, of engaging in a rally and then civil disobedience every Friday and anyway, and the moment that that happened, my, de my depression disappeared. And I have found that every single time I start to get depressed, if I take action, it disappears. Greta Thunberg said, don't go looking for hope, look for action and hope will come. And she's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's, there's research that backs that up, uh, that doing it helps. And the community you find in doing is part of that, the relationships. It's the action in concert with other people. So exactly. You, you were arrested with a bunch of celebrities. Uh, and a bunch of non-celebrities. I mean, this wasn't just all about... What I loved about it is celebrities introduced active, frontline activists, you know, who normally... whose voices wouldn't be heard, and it was all recorded, and we have it in per perpetuity, and... Hundreds, I mean, lots and lots and lots and lots of people watch this stuff. And people traveled from all over the country, mostly women, mostly older women. And <laughs> many of whom watched your videos, and that's why they were there. Well, they like Grace and Frankie, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I've been out there in the trenches as an activist when people really hated me. And then I've been out there in the trenches when I was Grace and Frankie and people loved me. And so I've been at both, and it really helps to have a good, successful TV series behind you you're going out there. When you were arrested in Washington, D.C., it was your first time since the 1970s. You had your mugshot taken. You were handed a bologna and cheese sandwich. You were locked in your cell. What would take us to that moment? What were your thoughts and feelings when you click you're in a jail cell in Washington, D.C. for protesting on climate? This, this may sound weird, but when you, when you are putting your body on the line for something that you would give your life for, the deepest thing you can possibly believe in, there is some, while they're putting the handcuffs on, those damn white plastic things, they hurt like hell, but you feel so liberated. I felt so free. It was weird, huh? Um, but, you know, I'll have to be honest. I'm white. I'm famous. I'm privileged. So I knew they weren't going to hurt me. They weren't so nice in Cleveland the first time that it happened. But I knew that, that I was safe. So it was really my job to kind of like record what was going on. And what was going on were men and women of color. Because this was just the overnight holding place where we were. Psychotic breaks, screaming all night. You know, we just don't in this country know how to handle mental health crises. These people should never have been in a jail. They should never have been arrested. And it was just, you know, it was, I was fine, but I just was, the next morning I was taken out of an individual cell and put into a holding with, with about 12 other women, all of them African-American. One of them was really cold. She was so beautiful and she was shivering. I gave her my red coat for a while. And then they got worried that I was cozying up to these people too much. And so they took me out and moved me away. But, you know, here's the reality. They said, why are you here? And I said, I was protesting the climate crisis. From Jane Fonda, we go to the conversation, and the headline for the story is Why Your Perception of Climate Change Threats Might Depend on Where You Live, New Research. The story has been written by a professor of linguistics from Bangor University, Thora Tenbrink. The story begins Our planet has just seen its hottest month on record, with many places on fire or flooded. Few events can be directly attributed to climate change but the likelihood of extreme weather keeps increasing, and people are noticing. However, not everyone notices or feels the threat to the same extent. Our new research shows 
there is a contrast on how people in different locations perceive this threat, largely along urban and rural lines. Cities are affected in different ways than rural areas. For instance, there are far fewer natural surfaces in urban areas, which creates problems with rainwater drainage, increased temperatures and increased evaporation. Cities have been said to spearhead climate action and climate activism, such as the environmental movement inspired by Greta Thunberg, Fridays for the Future, evolved primarily in cities. Yes, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been great to have you along. Now, there's a whole bunch of stories I haven't been able to mention. There are many, many stories. So they're all in the show notes, so please check them out. Don't forget the show notes. Go there. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, please feel free to share with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. And I'd love to hear from you what you think about this podcast, if you think it's good, if you think it's bad. So please email me at number 7 at icloud.com. Now, good or bad, don't hold back. Let me know. And one other thing, I'd urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be notified every time I publish a new episode. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now you take care.